I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge the traditional custodians at each of our delegate hubs and throughout the country, where many of our listeners will be based. This is a moment that requires leadership. China's signing security pact and looking to establish a base. People think I don't like China. I love China. The Pacific region has listed climate change as its number one threat. And so, friends, AUKUS is born. With a failure to invest in renewables. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. I just have two more words to say. Obama out. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Crisis Simulation Summit podcast series for 2022. My name is Alyssa Rahaja. In this series, members of the ACSS host distinguished academics and industry leaders in talks regarding various national security topics. These topics were selected by the ACSS team for the crucial insights and knowledge they provide, relevant to the summit in December this year. Today, I am joined by Dave Cohen, where we discuss why we are not prepared for a cyber crisis, the first episode of a two-part series, Cyber. As the general manager of the Cybertech Institute of Australia, Dave has taken this business from a startup within the Risk to Solution Group to a respected and reputable brand in the cyber education space, highlighting a strong movement towards women in cyber and STEM. Dave is also the general manager of the Cyber and Tech Division within the Risk to Solution Group of companies. Dave started the Institute of Strategic Risk Management's first cyber special interest group in 2022 attracting cyber influencers and students from around the globe, providing a platform for the exchange of expertise, knowledge and experience, raising the cyber maturity of organizations globally. Qualifying as an Axio 360 practitioner, Dave successfully helps organizations understand and mitigate against the ever-increasing cyber risks organizations face on a continual basis. Thank you so much for being here today on the ACSS podcast, Dave. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Let's get started, shall we? Absolutely, ready when you are. Um, would you mind giving us a quick one-minute introduction of yourself, um, a bit about your background, how you've come across this div- like new and developing kind of sphere? So for me personally, my, my, my passion and what drives me is the ability to make a difference and the ability to make a meaningful difference to organizations and people's lives. So for me, cyber was a natural progression from a risk-related industry um, to be able to, I I initially identified a massive gap between um, a technology aspect and a business aspect and coming from a business background, understood the technology aspect of it and realized that there was a mismatch between technology and uh, board executive running uh, organizations. And that's sort of where my self-proclaimed level of expertise came into being to be able to raise the maturity of organizations and raise the cyber posture of organizations. Um, And it's an ongoing effort. It's an ongoing mission. And um, that's where I find myself today. That's really cool. So jumping straight in, Putting you straight into the deep end here, um, if Australian infrastructure were to suffer a cyber attack, what sectors do you think will be most vulnerable? Are there any events that you think are particularly pertinent to reflect on? So if we go to the first part of your question, um, Alyssa, we've got two sides of the coin here to deal with. The first side of the coin that we need to deal with is naturally our critical infrastructure. 
And the recent uh, acts, which uh, SOCI, Security of Critical Infrastructure Act, which uh, the latest amendment was brought out in April of this year, is now encompassing four sectors of uh, security, namely physical security, personnel security, supply chain, and cybersecurity. So for something to be mandated as compliant, it means that it had to have gone horribly wrong sometime in the past. So originally, the security of critical infrastructure only affected and related to four particular as, uh, four particular sects. That infrastructure and that act now encompasses 11 sectors of critical infrastructure through the organization. So those are the pillars of organization, which include, amongst others, data processing, groceries, transport, higher education, uh, energy, uh, and, and many, many more. So these, the natural answer to your question would be our critical infrastructure sectors would be the most vulnerable and would be the most critical um, if they got hit. Having said that, we need to also understand that uh, the Australian economy is made up 97% effect of SMBs, uh, small to medium-sized businesses. Now, this creates the bread and butter and the pillars on which Australia is built and our economy is built. So through the supply chain aspect of the security of critical infrastructure, it means that by association, almost every single business in Australia that feeds into a critical infrastructure organization through the supply chain is at risk, either through compliance or through vulnerability. So with recent events, we know that um, legislation is going to change, compliance requirements are going to change, stringencies, stringencies are going to change, and laws are going to change. Um, that's what happens when things go horribly wrong. So it's important to understand that we're all vulnerable. Um, a cyber breach is never less bad. It's all bad. Um, it's like an operation. There's ne never a, a, an easy operation. There's never a safe operation. Whenever your body's cut open, it, there's a risk um, that something could go wrong. So if we start off originally, initially with uh, uh, critical infrastructure organizations and the organizations which the smaller organizations feed into, um, we'd have to understand that critical infrastructure, those 11 pillars of critical infrastructure would be the most vulnerable, not, not the most vulnerable, but would be the most important to protect up front, um, which would provide the greatest vulnerability and then through their supply chain would affect almost every other Australian business. So it's very important for Australian businesses, regardless of whether you're a one-man show or whether you are a multinational tier one organization, um, that you understand uh, a cyber maturity and a cyber risk. So it seems to have a very economical aspect to it as well. Can you, just off the top of your head, do you have any case studies that you know of within the financial economic sector regarding cyber vulnerabilities and cyber attacks and um, the ramifications of these events? So naturally, we can't go undercover too much. Um, we can only talk about what's been publicized in the media for, for security reasons and uh, for uh, privacy reasons. Um, but but if we just take the, 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 the two mainline uh, uh, attacks of late, 
uh, that we know of. We know, for example, Optus and we know Medibank are the two largest cyber attacks in Australia's history. Um, and there are many lessons to be learned from these two particular attacks. Um, were they business vulnerabilities? Were they technical vulnerabilities? Were they human factor vulnerabilities? It could be all or none. Uh, what we do know is that we're not going to get the real story. What we do know is we're not going to get the nuts and the bolts of what went wrong due to various factors. So what we need to understand is that we know that something has gone wrong, right? Um, uh, cyber attacks are happening just while we've been chatting. Uh, there have been... Um, we've been on for seven minutes. There's probably been about 20 attacks while we've been, or 30 attacks that's happened in Australia while we've been chatting alone. Um, now, when we talk about an attack, there are attacks happening all the time. Now, we need to differentiate between an attack and an, a breach, right? An attack is an attempt to either steal, encrypt, manipulate, or distribute information. A breach is a successful attack is when a hacker actually gets into your environment. And the susceptibility of a breach is the, the likelihood and the damage that that attack or that breach will have on your organization. So there are a lot of lessons that are to be learned from these large breaches. I mean, the, the Australian tax office is being hit probably seven or eight times a day um, on, on an ongoing basis. So we know that breaches and tax and attacks are happening all the time. Some of them are more successful than others. And we also know that breaches and attacks take very many forms, right? So sometimes they take the form of an opportunistic hacker who is stereotypically in their basement with their hoodie on and screens around them. And they're just trolling the web, looking, kicking a can down the road, looking for a vulnerability in the organization. And very often they'll find that vulnerability why? Because it's an ego boost and because they can. They don't really want to do anything about it. They're not really out for financial gain. They just want to prove to themselves that, look what I can do. So that's the first type of, uh, of attack that happens. The attacker will maybe post a ransomware video, maybe send a ransomware email, encrypt all the data. And by the next day, that ransomware email has gone all the data is still encrypted and it's left up to the response team to unencrypt that data and try and get the business back to business as usual. Then we've got targeted attacks. Now, we, we should never underestimate the power and we should never under, underestimate the sophistication of a targeted attack. Now, if we imagine a corporate business environment where we've got a boardroom and we've got offices and we've got people collaborating together in, in uh, brainstorming in, in um, meeting spaces. This is what's going on in targeted attacks. People are planning these attacks and people are carefully orchestrating these attacks to, for, for financial gain or for um, disruption. So they are either out to steal data, they are either out to, um, to, 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 to cripple an economy, to jeopardize an economy, or they're out for financial gain, where they believe that the data that they have encrypted and the data that they have stolen, they can use uh, to monetize and cause disruption by uh, encrypting and, and disrupting. And these have massive, massive ramifications for business. Some businesses can't even recover from it, so which is forced forcing them to close down. Right. Okay. 
So do you see vulnerabilities becoming larger and deterrence capabilities decreasing as, as a result of these kinds of events? Or um, instead, do you see capabilities to respond effectively increasing as, as a result? You mentioned earlier that in the time that was in the seven minutes that we had been speaking, that there were 20 to 30 cyber attacks that had happened. And that is that is pretty alarming statistic, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And, and what we're faced with now, firstly, we need to talk about cyber in two contexts. Number one, in the context of a global stage, which cybersecurity should be viewed on. And the other is in the Australian context. So from a global perspective, we need to understand that cybersecurity knows no borders. Um, we, that, that, that's evident and, and cybersecurity actually is targeted across borders. That's its main target. In the UK, there's an alarming statistic that's actually going around that 30% of cyber professionals are actually leaving the industry, right? Now, the problem with this is that we're already so short. There's a massive global shortage and the numbers are everywhere. They're all over. Um, there's a massive global shortage of cybersecurity professionals already because technologically adva technological advancements in terms of attacks are happening far quicker than we're able to mitigate against them. So the reason that people are, um, are, are leaving the industry, in the UK specifically, uh, pressures, uh, not enough pay, the job is too long. The job is too stressful, and that people would and that work-life balance is becoming jeopardized. So we're dealing with the problem almost, if we would imagine running the bathwater with the plug out. So as fast as we're trying to replenish this pool of cyber knowledge within on a, on a global platform, so there is a, definitely a leak which is a big problem as well. Now, the leak is a problem not only because we're losing valuable resources and valuable skills to cybersecurity on a global platform, but it's also we're losing that mentorship, we're losing that expertise, and we're losing that ability to change guard for those that have been involved in the industry for so many years to be able to pass the baton on to the future and to pass the baton on to newcomers to the industry and those that are already uh, in the industry. So are vulnerabilities increasing? Absolutely, vulnerabilities are increasing faster than capabilities to mitigate against them uh, are being developed. Why? Because advancements in technology, uh, we're always going to be one step, well, a few steps behind um, a criminal. And because that gap is so wide between capability and vulnerability, it seems to be widening even more. Because every year that um, the, 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 the number of cyber professionals required in the industry and required to, 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 to come on board to fight against this massive, I wouldn't even call it a pandemic because it's not a pandemic, it's a situation that we're faced with, um, is growing at such an alarming rate and that gap is actually getting wider. So while we do have technology to mitigate, we're following the trend rather than creating the trend. We're always one step behind the attacker. We're one step behind the criminals and we're one step behind. And the second major concerning point to that is the allocation of resources within an organization to fight cybercrime and to protect organizations is, uh, is, is, is very slow on the uptake. Organizations are putting their funds into business development, are putting their funds into uh, research, and 
very slow, although we have seen an improvement and we have seen an, a, a better uptake on it, it's not fast enough. Cyber, there was a, um, a survey that was published earlier this year that identified, um, I think there were 200 organizations that were interviewed and 70% of those organizations identified cyber risk to be a number one factor contributing to um, a, which is a contributing factor to the disruption of business this year, right? Now, if we have a look at the projects that have been undertaken uh, further down in the same survey, those same companies were asked, what are your top 10 projects that are being undertaken this year to grow your business? And I think the first part that cybersecurity came in was number four or five. So although organizations understand that cybersecurity is a massive problem and organizations understand that cyber is critical to the organization, we're still not putting our money where our mouth is and doing enough about it to be what we call resilient to prevent as far as possible an attack from happening in the first place. What do you think the cyber industry, as a consequence, needs to prioritize in order to change the space to make it to make it resilient? So we need to understand, you know, prevention is better than cure. That that's essentially what we're looking at over here, right? We don't want to be. And I was at a talk earlier uh, this year. Um, it was a lovely talk. It was a fantastic event. Really, really a wonderful uh, um, event and a wonderful discussion. But the one point that was made was, what do we do when we have an attack? And it went through all the stages and who to contact and what to do and how to respond and all of these kinds of things. What do we do when we have an attack? But what we need to focus on or what we need to understand is how do we prevent that attack from happening in the first place? Because once the horse is bolted, it's too late to close the stable door. It's too late to come back and try and clean up the mess because that takes resources, that takes reputational, and we'll get to that in a second. So essentially, there's the concept of pre-resilience. And the concept of pre-resilience is based on a three-tier approach to business. Uh, well, a three-tier approach, full stop. And the three-tier approach is, firstly, compliance needs to be in order. So what essentially is compliance? Compliance is a, a, a situation that occurs, which has been created when something in the past has gone horribly, horribly wrong, right? So if we circle back to the Optus and the Medibank breaches, we know that lots and lots of things have gone horribly, horribly wrong, right? We might not know exactly what they were, but what we do know is that the compliance truck is coming to offload a whole bunch on all of our front doors. So we need those compliance pieces to get our skin in the game. Now, organizations also need to understand that compliance is not the goal, it's not a target, and it's not something to achieve. It is a found mandatory foundation that frameworks and policies need to be built on. Every organization is unique and every organization is different. So not even though uh, uh, organizations in similar industries may subscribe to the same policies and the same compliance and the same frameworks, their unique structure needs to be different because their organizations are different. So the first thing we need to understand is compliance is your ticket to the game. It's your skin in the game and it gets you the ability to play the game. That's it. And we need to create that level of compliance. We then go 
building on that level of compliance is when compliance fails and when compliance breaks, we need resilience. Now, resilience is the ability to get back to where you were before the incident occurred, right? So, which is also very important because we need that ability when compliance breaks, how do we continue going? But the problem with resilience is that resilience uses resources, resilience takes time, resilience costs money, and resilience takes you a few steps back before you can get to where you were, which essentially puts you back because you've lost time that you could have gone forward. Then we get the concept of pre-resilience. How do we use opportunity as a risk to be able to fail forward, right? So we all know already that cyber, that cyber risk is a risk. Cyber security is a risk. We know that. It's not a case of if we get breached. It's a case of when we get breached, right? So if, if your listeners could, could see my hand, I've got my hand up and I've got my, my left hand up and I've got my right hand going horizontally towards my left hand and my left hand's held up as an obstacle and running along as an obstacle and my left hand being the, the, the cyber risk and my right hand being business continuing towards the left hand. And we hit the cyber risk and we hit this wall. Our ability to get around it, over it, under it or through it depends on the, the level of resilience that we have in our organization. But what if we understood that we know that we've got the cyber risk? How do we take that out of the picture completely? And how do we remove cyber risk from our organization as far as possible? So what are the things that we could be doing within our organizations to be reducing those vulnerabilities and to become more resilient in our organization? And those are things like, firstly, understanding where you are today, right? You can't move forward and you can't build a framework and you can't build an infrastructure unless you know where you are today. So uh, either collaborate or use your managed security service provider. If you've got an in-house security team, uh, information security team, there are many platforms available out there to be able to identify your point in time assessment of how vulnerable you are. This helps you with insurance this helps you with uh, being, building a resilient uh, organization. It helps with communication. Once we've got that idea of where we are, this points out vulnerabilities within the organization. So now, <laughs> a lot of organizations fear doing an assessment because they know that they have vulnerabilities. But once those vulnerabilities come to the fore, they have to now do something about it. Not all vulnerabilities cost money. And not all vulnerabilities are big, expensive projects to be undertaken. A vulnerability, a vulnerability to be patched could be as simple as a setting. It could be as simple as implementing a policy or a procedure. It doesn't have to be a big, expensive investment to, uh, to, 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 to mitigate a vulnerability. Insurance companies, insurance should be seen as part of that process not the solution to that problem. A lot of organizations will say, I've got cyber insurance, so I don't need to worry about it because if something happened to my organization, my cyber insurance will pay out. The problem is, A, if you're able to get cyber insurance, the chances are 
it's not going to cover your full potential and it's not going to cover your full loss. Things like cybersecurity can't, uh, cyber insurance can't cover are things like reputational harm. While they can pay for a PR campaign to help manage your reputational damage, disgruntled customers are disgruntled customers. Some you're going to win back and some you're not. Or customers that don't have the time and patience and energy and effort to be able to wait for you, for you to recover from your cyber breach, insurance can't pay for that either. We need to also understand that the average time for an SMB to be down after a cyber attack is between 10 and 15 working days. So now if we paint a picture of an organization being totally unoperational for 10 to 15 working days, work out your loss of revenue and the cost of insurance for that. Work out your response and your cost for that. Can your customers not engage with you for 15 days and still stay with you if you're an operational business? Will they have the time and the patience to stay with you for three weeks? Or will they go and seek uh, solutions elsewhere? The average cost of a cyber breach for a business is $1.9 million. Most cyber security insurance policies won't even come close to covering that for an SMB. And if they do, the insurance premium associated with that will be so high it will be prohibitive for the organization to get. And even once we've got that cyber insurance of, let's say, for example, use the medium of $1.9 million, there are a lot of vulnerabilities within that policy that we need to understand. A, does it cover absolutely everything? It definitely doesn't. What are the vulnerabilities that it doesn't cover? Well, I don't know because I haven't done an assessment yet. So it's important to get the assessment done and the mapping done to your insurance policy to ensure that your vulnerabilities map to your insurance policy. And then with also within your insurance cover, it's also important to understand that you're not only given a blanket cover, but you're given a specific amount per vulnerability within the organization. Let's take response, for example. If you've got an insurance cover for $1.9 million and your response cover is $500,000, your vulnerability for response might be a million dollars, which means that you're still left with half a million dollars that you have to pay out of your own pocket, even though your total cover is $1.9 million. So insurance policies and insurance cover is a necessary aid to becoming cyber resilient, but it's not the answer. So once we've done our assessment and once we understand where we are in terms of the organization and our vulnerabilities, it's important to then do something about it within the risk and tolerance appetite of the organization. We need to quantify that risk. We need to know and the boards need to know what is the business risk associated with my cyber vulnerability. Boards don't need to know the technical aspects of it. Boards don't need to know about application controls and MFAs and patches and all of these sorts of things. Boards need to know what is my economic impact that a cyber breach will have on my business and what I need to do about it. Does it fall within my appetite and tolerance of risk? A lot of organizations and a lot of boards don't know that information because it hasn't been given to them. So they let the responsibility and they let the decisions lie on the technical, uh, technical team. And with all due respect to the technical team, the technical team very often don't have the business acumen to understand the impact that a breach and a vulnerability will have on a business. That's why you have different departments in a business, right? You have the marketing team, you have the business development team, you have the sales team, you have the, the, the financial team. 
because each team uh, has their own level of expertise. And then you have the board and the directors that marshal all those troops, that gather all the information together and put it all together. And they get all of that information in terms that a board understands, which is ones and dollars, uh, ones and, and, and noughts in terms of dollars, not ones and noughts in terms of binary. And once they've got that dollar value and the, the board knows that should we suffer a cyber breach today, we're in for $10 million. Whoa, that's way outside our uh, appetite and tolerance. We now need to do something about it. But what do we do about it? That's the next step. The next step is to understand and initiate control measures that if I invest a million dollars today in my cyber posture, what effect is that going to have on my organization, right? Where, how, if I'm exposed for $10 million today and I invest a million dollars, is my exposure going to drop to $9 million? Is it going to drop to $4 million? Is it going to drop to $100,000? And what is it going to improve? And how is it going to impact on susceptibility, the likelihood of a successful breach in the organization? And what is the damage it's going to do across my organization in each aspect of my organization? So it's very important to have all of this information at hand when determining a resilient structure within an organization. Once we've understood that, we need to create a culture within the organization to adopt all of this information. So it's all very nice that the IT or the, the, the technical department, the information, um, and, and it varies from organization to organization. Some of it, sometimes it will fall under the CIO, sometimes it will fall under the CISO, sometimes it will fall under the chief risk officer. It will fall under, in different places in different organizations. So once we've got all of this information and we've got the dollar values, now we need to get a buy-in from the entire organization. Cybersecurity is not an individual sport. It's not a departmental sport. It's a team sport which needs to be played by every single individual in the organization. Regardless of their level of involvement, every organization needs to adopt a cyber risk culture within the organization. They need to understand why controls are implemented. They need to know why they're being burdened with this thing called 2MFA, whatever it's called. Yeah. They don't care what 2MFA means. The IT department knows that multi-factor authentication is critical for the organization. The users within the organization, it's a burden. It slows them down and it takes them longer to do their job. But if we explain to the individual, what happens if I took your computer away from you for three weeks? You couldn't use it because everything on it's been encrypted. And when I gave you a new laptop, you've been to the, the, the store, you bought yourself a new laptop, that's great. We've loaded all the new software on it. But all the data, all the projects and all the information that you've had on it before, you now don't have. And you've now got to start from the very beginning, building all of that up again, which could take you six months or a year. Now, do you understand that the three seconds that it's going to take you to put in your multi-factor authentication is a good thing or a bad thing? And it's these sorts of things. And you, the culture needs to, to be embedded in an organization from the top down, which is where your policies and your uh, compliance is driven. And from the bottom up, which are the users that need to adopt that policy, that need to actually carry out that policy within the organization. And that is the, the, the foundations of becoming slightly more resilient within your organization. Thank you. Um... So this next question is um, twofold. 
So you've talked a lot about the widespread vulnerabilities across both Australian industries and businesses and also globally and the implications of these in terms of cyber resilience and cyber resilience. So what can you share about um, strategic competition within cyberspace and how is increasing how is increasing strategic cyber competition impacting Australia's cyber infrastructure vulnerabilities? So we know that strategic competition is, is a commitment within the organization to make changes in competitive relationships, right? So it's, it's, the problem is that organizations are very, very slow to react and very slow to adopt. Unfortunately, um, we in Australia have a culture of compliance. We have a culture of heavy compliance. And to be able to shift between different levels um, and buy-in is very difficult. We are slow to we are slow to react. We are slow to develop, and we are slow to achieve, because we are very compliant driven, uh, a very compliant driven organization. The shift of a uh, trusting nation to a non-trusting nation is a very difficult shift. It's a very hard shift, and it's a very tough shift. Um, in terms of we're now trying to change and alter an entire culture in a country, which is very, very difficult to do and it takes a long time to do, which is another reason circling back to, to the discussion that we had a few moments ago about, um, a, a, about cyber borders and cyber infrastructure. And the, we don't want to be the first. Cyber knows no borders and cyber... Is, is one of those things, and uh, while we're talking about the, the gap and the widening of the gap between catching up to uh, um, uh, uh, fixing the vulnerabilities. This is another reason, is because we're very slow to react. And unfortunately, the problem with that is the, the gap is getting bigger between attackers are getting more sophisticated and we're not getting sophisticated enough, quickly enough, to be able to get ahead of the curve and to be proactive enough. So we're constantly changing our, uh, chasing our tails in terms of um, organizations. We're, we're, we're very much of the opinion, let's see what someone else does first and then I'll react. Um, we've got a bit of a horse and cart race going on at the moment while we are being given very good guidelines and very clear guidelines from government. Um, Government have been very careful not to dictate too much to organizations because they realize and acknowledge the fact that they don't know organizations as well as the organizations know themselves. So while they've provided a framework and they've provided an infrastructure for organizations to develop their own uh, resilience and their own posture and their own maturity, enterprises looking to government and saying, well, what must I do? And government is turning around to organization and saying to organization, well, Here's a framework for you to be able to operate in. You know your organization better than I do, so operate within that framework. And enterprise is saying, well, I don't want to do the wrong thing because I'll be caught out by doing the wrong thing. So give me a list of compliance documents to comply with, and I'll do that, and then I can't be seen as doing the wrong thing. So this is why we're finding this, this difficult conundrum between... Um, but between you know the this the shift in in organization and that ability for change and that competition between organizations and that internal competition 
we're looking for guidance. We're hungry for guidance. We're in a very dynamic space. We're in a very fluid space. And we're not quite sure yet what to do, which is why it's important to just keep going forward. You mentioned that um, we're very slow to fill the gap of cybersecurity. In response to that, what does good innovation within the cyberspace look like to you? That's an interesting question, and, and, and I love that question because there's no answer to that question. Because good to me is my perception and good to someone else is another perception. Is, is another perception. The, the, at this stage of the game, there is no definitive answer to what good looks like. What good does look like, however, across a, a, a broad language and a universal language is keep moving forward. Don't stay static. Educate, continual education, develop in-house resources, and understand that you don't know what you don't know. Once we start understanding that we don't know what we don't know, once we're educating ourselves, we're educating our staff, we're educating our team, we're continually looking at ways to improve our cyber posture, that's good because we're moving in a direction to become more resilient and we're moving in a direction to become a harder target. Um, hackers will generally find a soft target and the majority of hacks are actually opportunistic. And, you know, I mean, if we take a simple example of you've got two houses next door to each other, one house has got their front door wide open, uh, no security cameras visible, no burglar bars on the doors, no walls, no gates, no dogs. Um, and the house next door has got uh, high walls, security cameras, security fencing, uh, gates locked, dogs behind the wall um, that are barking and going crazy and uh, lock gates everywhere. A hacker is naturally going to go to the open house where there's no vulnerabilities. And that's very similar in cyberspace as well. So we need to, there's no one size fits all. There's no universal cure. The Australian Cybersecurity Center has provided fantastic guidelines. There are many other organizations, AISA, um, has provided many wonderful guidelines. Our government is very proactively trying to support uh, large and small businesses with regards to leading them in the right direction, giving tools to be able to progress further and to progress uh, going forward within, the, um, within their, their, their cyber maturity and their cyber posture. So it's important for us to keep progressing and that's what good looks like. You know, as when we stop and we think that we've got to a point of cyber maturity, that's when we become vulnerable and that's when the problems start to begin, is we need to understand and adopt a, a culture within an organization. So once we've adopted a culture in an organization of risk and specifically cyber risk, we're on the right path. Whether we adopt an essential eight, an Australian cybersecurity center essential eight framework, whether it's an ISO 27001 framework, whether it's a NIST framework, whether it's a CPS2, whatever framework we've decided to adopt, which fits the needs of the organization, understand your current posture as a starting point to uh, fixing your cyber maturity. And then once you've got that, you're on the way to becoming good, whatever that looks like for that particular organization. Continual improvement, continual advancement, continual progress. People within an organization are an organization's greatest vulnerability, yet greatest opportunity. So 
we're, we're, because we're not static beings, because we're not uh, uh, robots, we have emotions, we have feelings. Uh, the coffee, my favorite coffee place was closed this morning due to a power outage or there was a long queue or the bus didn't get me to work on time. We get to work in a flustered mood. We get to work uh, upset and we get to work without a clear frame of mind. That may prompt us to make a mistake. That pr may prompt us to create a vulnerability within an organization um, which lets in a hacker which creates a breach within the organization. Having said that, with the right level of education, with the right presence of mind, with individuals within an organization, understanding that cyber is not an IT problem and that's the other guys to sort out. And when I get funny emails on my computer, I'll just send that on to IT because that's their problem to deal with. We need to allocate a sense of responsibility and accept a level of responsibility on ourselves to be able to play part of this game and to play our role in this game of preventing cybersecurity. So I cannot, cannot, cannot stress enough that, and, and, and I've repeated myself a few times, but I hope that it's this important that the message gets across that clearly, is that it's a continual improvement, a continual upliftment. And if there's one thing that you do better tomorrow than you did today, you're good. And if there's one thing better the next, that you do the next day better than you did today, that's good. And if we keep doing that every single day and it's a continual evolvement and a continual evolution, we will become more cyber resilient, which leads to cyber pre-resilience because we're now starting to reduce the likelihood of attack. And we're actually making a lot of opportunity because what we've now achieved within an organization is we've achieved a budget consensus. So now we're because the organization understands cyber risk, boards are now allocating the correct amount of budget to it. We've now achieved cohesiveness within the organization. And we've, all of this, because we're not fighting, we're productive, we're achieving business growth within the organization. So in a very, very important manner, by improving a cyber maturity as an ongoing uh, task and an ongoing development, we're actually building business resilience and business development and business growth for the organization. It is certainly comforting, I think, that we're moving towards being harder targets for cyber attacks and that we have frameworks and avenues to develop our resilience further. Going forward, what is your outlook for the future? Do you think the concerns that we've discussed and seen here today will remain um, the same? at least in the near future, if not in the far future? Or do you think that they're going to develop so rapidly that we can't even comprehend what might be the cyber vulnerabilities of, of next year or 10 years' time? So the simple answer to that question is yes and no. <laughs> so the, 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 the first part of that question is, um, you know, so at the moment we're experiencing sort of a a COVID reaction to cybersecurity, while we all know that cybersecurity is not new and it's not something that's just developed overnight, we, we're going to need to learn to live alongside it. It's not something that's going to go away. And I don't think that it's something that's going to get worse because I think we will get better at it. And I definitely think that with more resources, more education, more capability, we will definitely get better at it, but it's never going to go away completely. So from that perspective, it's, it's, it's something that 
is because it's constantly evolving, because it's something that's constantly uh, 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 being created, more people are wanting to get involved in the field and that, that, that um, the, 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 the swim lanes in different fields are certainly going to merge a lot more. We're already seeing the silos between, different, uh, between various forms of risk merging and integrating with one another, particularly now physical security and information security are now merging to, towards each other. So the resource pool is getting a lot bigger. Collaboration is getting a lot better. So we're, we're able, to, so is the problem going away? No, it's not. Are we going to have to live alongside it and work with it and manage it? Yes, we are. Is that an opportunity for us to get better? Absolutely, it's an opportunity for us to get better. It's an opportunity for us to become more resilient. It's an opportunity for businesses to become more resilient. And the spin-offs that we're going to face from building a more resilient cyber infrastructure is going to automatically overflow into the other spheres of the business. Once we understand that cyber is a team sport, it needs to be adopted by everyone in the organization. And there are many, many, many other follow-ons that are going to, uh, um, there are many other spin-offs that are going to be created from adopting the culture within the organization. We've seen so many positives come out of COVID, not for a second advocating that COVID was a positive thing and not advocating that it was a good thing. I'm saying that there are a lot of positives that have come out of COVID. We've developed ourselves as a, as a, as a, a, a world a force, a resilient world force. We've achieved things in the last two years that probably wouldn't have been able to been achieved in probably five years. So we've shown ourselves as human beings that we are able to adapt very quickly. We are able to adopt very quickly and we are able to learn very quickly and we are able to action very quickly. These are some of the processes and, and positives that we've come out of COVID. And it's important for us to take these lessons and apply that going forward. Every sort of negative, adverse effect, you know, take a simple thing like war, for example. Um, again, not advocating that war is a good thing and not advocating that, that we should now go into war and because we can learn lots of good things out of it. We definitely don't want that and we don't want war and we do want peace. But we, so many lessons have been learned by adverse effects and so many lessons have been learned by tragedies um, that have springboarded us going forward. So if we take the events and, you know, I, I never like to, 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 to profit out of others' misfortune, but uh, if we take um, the Optuses and the Medibanks and the Ubers and the Woolworths and we take the likes of those um, and we put those into study cases and we really go and unpack those scenarios, Again, I circle back, we'll never really know because of privacy and because of protection, data protection and security, we'll never really know exactly what happened there. But if we look from the outside and we look at the mistakes that we perceive in our own organization, and there will be millions of different perceptions that have gone around from organization to organization. And we just take those perceptions because the field is so wide open. If we just take the perceptions that we've received and we've learned and apply those to our organizations, we're automatically building a more resilient culture and a more resilient infrastructure. Do you have any must-reads, any standout resources that you can recommend for the ACS 2022 delegates and our wider audience? So because cyber is a constantly changing beast and 
we really don't know enough about it. And again, I'm referring back to COVID. Uh, and what we do know about it and what was published a year or two years ago is out of date today. My recommendations on, on things to read are um, there, there's some incredible blogs out there. Uh, Risky Business is an incredible uh, publication to read that's ongoing, that's up to date, that's got great podcasts. Um, Wired, the Australian uh, Information Security Association, ISA, come out with fantastic articles. The Cybertech Institute of Australia publishes weekly blogs and weekly articles of the latest trends, what's going on in the world, uh, financial review. There are The more blogs you read and the more information you read, that is the source of knowledge and that is the resource pool that your readers and your listeners um, and, and, and your uh, delegates should be following. Um, there's no one size fits all. There's no one real sort of Bible that, that one should subscribe to and that one should go out and get. But if your delegates, um, I, the, the, the web is absolutely littered with good information. Um, find your favorite, find the one that resonates with you. All of these blogs and all of these sort of publications carry a different flavor. And they carry some are more technical, some are less technical, some are more business focused, some are less business focused. It's important that that your delegate finds the one that resonates with them and that speaks that speaks the same language that resonates with them. The ones that resonate with me maybe not resonate with with some of your delegates. Um, some carry a very legal lens, some carry a financial lens, uh, some carry a more technical lens, and some carry a more uh, uh, you know. Um, educational lens so it's important that research find out go through see which ones are relevant there are blogs and podcasts going out every single day you can spend your entire life reading information um on on news and events and things that are happening but you know the go-to ones for me um I, I'm constantly on the Australian Cybersecurity Center sites. I'm constantly following the news and publications um, that the Australian Information Security Association is putting out. Um, the Cybertech Institute of Australia puts out wonderful blogs on a weekly basis. Those are the sorts of ones that, that, that I tend to follow. We only have time for one more question, but do you have any advice for someone seeking a career, a career similar to yours? Absolutely. Um, and... I always refer to when people ask me, what do you do for a living? I say, I save lives. And the reason I say that is quite simply, you know, a lot of organizations could be second or third or fourth generation family businesses suffer a cyber attack or a cyber breach. Um, and all of a sudden they don't have the means to recover from the cyber breach and they have to close down. And every single employee and every single person in that organization has a family that they have to support through and uh, provide for education, food, shelter, clothes, those sorts of things. So we need to understand that a, that a, a career in cybersecurity isn't only technical. There are very many forms of careers in cybersecurity that are desperately needed. There's the educational aspect, there's the technical aspect, there's the application aspect, there's the governance aspect. There are a lot of different aspects to a career in cybersecurity. And I honestly believe that every single uh, profession in the coming years are going to require some form of cyber capability, whether you're a practicing lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or a tradie, regardless of what you do. 
If you're applying for a job, I believe that if you've got a cybersecurity capability attached to your your career, your skill, uh, you're automatically putting yourself on a better footing. Unless you plan on developing an educational career in cybersecurity, wanting to lecture, wanting to teach, wanting to provide, um, I would say don't necessarily only focus on the degrees and the diplo- uh, the degrees and the masters. A cert for in cybersecurity is more than adequate, along with the skills equipped to take up a, a profession in cybersecurity. Um, there are a lot of online courses which provide knowledge. I would say be careful of the online courses that you do. While they are very good and they're very useful to provide knowledge, it's not enough to be able to provide a skill, a, a career, to be able to provide the skills to take up a job in cybersecurity because you've done an online self-paced course is not going to give you the ability to get a job. You need to do a program, a course that is skills-based, that is trainer-led, that where your trainer can share real life examples with you, where you play in labs, where you play in a physical environment um, to, to, to gain practical experience so that by the time you've finished your, your, your studies, whether it be six months, nine months, a year, however long it is, you actually make sure that you finish your studies with the skills to be able to take up your career in cybersecurity um, you know, a, a nine-month cert for in cybersecurity, for example, could get you an entry-level job earning $100,000 a year. Um, and after three years, you've climbed up the corporate ladder. You've got two years experience and you, you've got a slightly bigger salary. Whereas if you had to go into an organization with a degree three years later, you'd only be starting off your career at $100,000 a year, perhaps, um, with two years less work experience. So within cybersecurity, work experience is critical. Work experience is crucial. Acquiring skills and knowledge in as many facets of cybersecurity as possible is critically important. I always refer to cybersecurity as the equivalent of, of qualifying as a doctor. So, you know, to get your base level of, of uh, cyber, to become a cybersecurity analyst, for example, um, would equate you to becoming a GP. And then from there, you specialize, um, either you want to stay as a GP and you're quite happy to stay as a general practitioner, or you'd want to specialize to become a neurologist or a pulmonologist or a, a, a podiatrist, whatever the case may be. And it's the same in cybersecurity. You get your base level of becoming a GP, and then maybe you want to become a pen tester, you want to become an ethical hacker, you want to go into forensics, you want to go into response or analysis. Um, and so don't go straight for the specialization and not have the base knowledge to accompany that. Get the base knowledge of medicine, for example. <laughs> not necessarily medicine, but I use that as, as, as an equivalent, as a, a comparison. Get your base knowledge. Understand all aspects of cybersecurity. Understand what is a security operation center? What is a SOC? What is response? What is analysis? What is forensics? What are all of these sorts of things? Um, and once you've got that baseline understanding, then progress into whether it be ethical hacking, whether it be pen testing, whether it be analysis forensics or, or an uh, um, response. And that could be in any organization whatsoever. It doesn't necessarily only have to be limited to an IT type environment. Um, IT uh, uh, security, cybersecurity professionals are needed in every aspect of an organization. And even if you're in an organization, 
and you want to upgrade your skills and upgrade your knowledge into cybersecurity so that you can help your organization. You may not necessarily want a full-time career in cybersecurity, but you're in the finance department, for example, and you believe that an added capability in terms of cybersecurity would help your small organization. It's a fantastic way to upgrade your skills and to help your organization. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your professional insights with us, Dave. It's been wonderful to speak with you. Great. I love the work that you guys are doing and keep doing it. And thank you for the opportunity and for having me on.